Money. That's your cue if you'd like to go. <laughs> or to shut off your, your screen. It's a lot easier, right? That's a powerful word. Just that word brings up a lot of emotion, right? Just saying the word, it's kind of like the Lion King when they say Mufasa, and everyone's like, Ugh. just the word Mufasa, 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 you know, just saying money is a word that it, it creates some kind of emotion. It might get you excited, like, yeah, baby, money, that's what I'm talking about. It might make you scared. It might make you nervous. It might make you just kind of twitch a little bit. Your eyebrow just kind of moves, and you're not even sure why. The word money is a powerful word. It has a lot of emotional effect on us. We think about money a lot. There was a, a study a while ago, NBC reported on, that said this. About one in four Americans said that money is the thing they think about most on a daily basis. So when you go through your life, when you go through your day, all sorts of money thoughts might come up. In fact, many of us worry about money all the time. 25% of Americans feel bad for this guy that he's like front and center on this. This is just like some company meeting and they're like, sorry, you signed a waiver. This is the stock photo. This guy worries about money. Gary, sorry, Gary. 25% of Americans and 100% of Gary's say they worry about money all the time. It's something that we, that we think about. It fills our minds, whether we are scared of it, whether we are excited about it, whether we're thinking about saving or we're thinking about spending or we're kind of trying to make decisions and choices. Money is something that a lot of our life is connected to. Our jobs are connected to money and we think about what kind of job we want or what kind of job we feel like we need or maybe promotions or we might lose a job and then start to think about the money effects of that. We might think about how many more years we have in our jobs so that we can get the retirement that we have. Money is connected to so many parts of our life. It's connected to our job. It's connected to where we live. Sometimes we think about, well, I want this house, or we, maybe this will be the first home, and then we'll go here, or I can't afford this uh, apartment or this condo. We, we, it's connected to where we live. It's connected to our education. It's connected to our families. It's connected to uh, even our, our marriages. It's connected to so many different parts of our lives. It's connected to our goals and our future. It's connected to a lot of fights and arguments that we have. It's connected to many different things. So it's a big part of our life. And none of us, none of us wants money to control us. None of us wants money to be the thing that creates tension and anxiety in our life. None of us wants to be ruled by money. None of us wants that to be the case. None of us wants to worry about it or compare ourselves to other people. We, we don't want money to kind of be this controlling factor in our life. We want to use it well. We want to feel well and feel that we've got wisdom when it comes to money. And since so much of life is connected to money, since so much of our emotions and our thoughts and our actual living, since so much of it is connected to, uh, since so much of money is connected to our life, then we can't understand life with Jesus, which is what we've been talking about in this series going through the Gospel of Luke. We can't understand life with Jesus if we don't understand money and what God and what Jesus speaks into that because so much of our life is connected to money. 
There's no way to, listen, let me just say it plainly. There's no way to understand life with Jesus if you don't understand how money fits into that. There's no way. Because money controls and is a part of so much of who we are and what we do and what we think and plan for and live for. And money can fuel your life with Jesus. It can be a big, helpful part of it. Or money can hurt your life with Jesus. It can get in the way of the joy that he intends for you. It can get in the way of the purpose that he intends for you. Money can be something that is a great boon to our faith or something that actually harms it and hinders it. So, what does it mean to have our money connected to life with Jesus? Or how do we live wisely with money according to what God says? The Bible is filled with teaching on this. Some would say that 25%, I've heard 30%, 25%, but a giant chunk of everything that Jesus taught on had to do with money, had to do with financial issues. It's a big thing. So the Bible says a lot about it. But today we're going to look at one little story that Jesus tells to help us see where we go wrong with money and why we go wrong with it and the way forward. So first, let's read the story and then we'll explore this together. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, obviously, this person's having some sort of kind of family argument about money around inheritance. If any of you have um, dealt with inheritance for parents that have died or things like that, a lot of times money actually is an issue that comes up with this. And this person's trying to get Jesus on his side. Tell my brother to do this. He doesn't even ask him, God, what should, Jesus, what should we do? He just says, Jesus, tell my brother to do this. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator? Over you. He then told them, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. Jesus is the master of parables, short little stories that have very important meaning. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, What should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Story ends. Jesus says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. First question that I want to explore that we can see from this story that Jesus gives to us is where do we go wrong with our money? Where do we go wrong with how we use our money? Where did he go wrong in how he used his money? Like him, like this man in the story, we ask all sorts of questions about our money. He, he asks this question as he prospers. He says, what should I do? And we ask this question a lot. 
You might not kind of, it might not be in the exact situation that he found himself in, but we ask these money questions all the time. What should I do? What should I do with savings? What should I do with spending? What should I do with investing? Do I buy Bitcoin? Do I not buy Bitcoin? Do I buy AMC? Do I not buy AMC? Right? We ask questions all the time. Should I make this purchase or wait? Should I buy now or later? Should I sell or not? Should I take the promotion that might make some more money? Or do I keep this kind of quality of life choice? What should I do? We ask money questions like he does all the time. I don't know what kind of recent questions you've asked, but you've probably asked some money questions even recently. What should I do? We want to get it right. We want to get our money choices right. And listen, this is why this story is so important. This story is so important because if I, if I said to you, if we were just sitting down, we were having a conversation, and I said, I want you to tell me about foolishness with money. Like, what, what does it mean to be foolish with your money? If we were to sit down and talk, you might have a list of things of, of what you might consider to be foolishness with money. But here's why this story is so important. Most of the time, if we were to describe what it means to be foolish with money, we wouldn't describe this guy. We wouldn't say anything close to what happened with him. If I said describe foolishness in money, maybe you would say, well, foolishness with money is if you earn it in a bad way. If you cheat people or if you're a bank robber, that might be foolish. Or if you kind of get ahead unjustly or if you treat people poorly and that's how you make your money, that would be foolishness with money. Or maybe in the way that we uh, use our money, we might consider it to be foolishness. Just kind of being frivolous and spending on this and spending on that, not saving for anything. Or maybe we would consider foolishness with money to, to take money that doesn't belong to us. We would say that's, that's foolishness. So there's a lot of different types of things that we might consider foolishness with money. But this, in this story, what this man had is actually not what we would think of as foolish. In fact, it's what many of us would want. If I said, describe your goals, where do you want your use of money to lead you? If I said, tell me about how you want kind of the way you think about money, where do you want it to take you? Many of us would say this slogan, you have many goods stored up for many years. He's saving, he's set and take it easy. Eat, drink and enjoy yourself. I mean, this, that's like our life goal when it comes to money a lot of times, right? So this is why this story is so crucial, because it really flips upside down a lot of how we think about money. What we think is foolish is very different from this. What we think is wise is very much what this story actually shows to us, which means this, much, and I, and I, hope, you, I hope you hear this today from Jesus, much of our instincts about money, much of the way that we were raised when it comes to how to deal with money. Much of the books that we read and the blogs that we've followed and maybe even financial advisors and much of that, much of our instincts about money, God says, are foolish. Now that might be a hard truth to swallow, but this is what Jesus speaks to him. So where do we go wrong with money? Back to that question. Where did he go wrong 
with money. And there's at least two things in this passage that we can see. The first is this. He doesn't listen to God. So God shows up and he speaks to him, which is a bad day, right? Like a lot of us might say, man, God, would you speak to me about something? And God, I want to hear your voice. And if the first time God shows up and speaks to you, you're like, is, is that you, God? What did you say? I said, fool. Oh, okay. Maybe I don't want you to speak to me. Right? The first thing that God says is fool. Like, oh, dang it, that's not what I wanted to hear from God. He doesn't listen to God. God speaks there, but that's not the first time that God has spoken. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus is telling this story in a context with the Jewish people who already have God's revealed will and God's revealed word in the Old Testament. And God speaks very clearly about what we do with money. It's filled. I was going to put some of the stuff up there, but there's so much. If you just do a search about money or tithing or different things like that, just in the Old Testament, it is filled with God talking about money to his people. So the first problem of where we go wrong with money, of where this man went wrong with money, is that we do not listen to God. God spoke. Already. And in the story, this Jesus is telling this to Jewish people that are listening that would have known this. So when the man all of a sudden prospers and has this money and says, what should I do with it? He should already know what to do with it because God has already spoken of what he should do with it. In the Old Testament, that was to give at least, some people calculate it was 20, 30% actually, but there was kind of a starting of 10%, a tenth of our income. That's where the word tithe comes from. It means 10%. God called his people to give a tenth of what they had to support the, the temple and the Levites, the church in the Old Testament. He didn't listen to that. Instead, what he's doing is asking himself, what should I do with my money? So it's easy to miss that if we just kind of pull this story out of its context and forget, wait a minute, God had already given instructions of what people were to do with their money. And this person's ignoring it. He's just asking himself, what should I do? Instead of listening to what God said he should do. Which, listen, for us, maybe that's easy to judge and go, yeah, he's such a bad guy. But for us, that's often how it is. If you look up, I spend a little bit of time doing this. If you, if you look up, just what, whatever it is nerd wallet's kind of a popular financial blog, or if you go just ask your financial advisor if you have one, or you just kind of Google how to invest my money or how to plan with my money, just kind of Google stuff, the number one piece of advice that's going to come up when you start thinking about how to plan with your money, how to save with your money, how to invest with your money, what to do with your money, the number one piece, like when it lists out the steps of what you should do, when it gets down to actually how you spend it, it's going to tell you this. What are your goals? That's the question to ask. What are your goals? And then when you decide what your goals are, then you're able to start to plan. Okay, do I want to be really risky with my investments? Do I want to kind of play it safe? Should I save a lot? Are my goals I just want to be able to spend and do whatever I want? Are my goals, I want to retire early or I don't really care? Like, what are your goals? Which is a good question. But it shouldn't be the starting question. This is where this man started. 
2,000 years ago, he was a very modern man. And he started with the question, what are my goals? What do I want to do? But he didn't listen to God. God had already spoken. And any time that we consider money issues and money plans, savings, spendings, investing, various bank accounts, purchases, any time we consider money issues without saying, here's the starting point. I want to know what God says. We're doing exactly what this man did. Seems kind of quiet here. Second, <laughs> second problem is this, is that he was self-focused. He was focused on himself. Now, these are related problems, but let's just look at it. When you look at the text, there's a dozen times, at least, that he has thought to himself, I, I, my crops, I, I, my barns, my grain, my goods, I, myself. You're, then he, when he speaks to himself, yourself. He is self-focused in how he's thinking about money. He's not thinking about God. He's not thinking about other people. He is thinking in a self-referential view when it comes to money. He views money individually. He views it as belonging to him, as from him, what he has produced. So he views it as it belongs to me. It's my money. It's my stuff. And he views the plans and where it goes and as what are my desires and my goals. And, and that is trying to make a point that that parable is filled with my, 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 I, 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 myself. It is trying to make a point and saying, look, the snapshot of this man's life, when you look at how he thinks about money, when you look about how he's planning for money and how he views even what money is, it is self it's very individualistic. It belongs to him. If we think our money is ours, then we are kissing cousins with this man. I have no idea where that phrase came, why that came in my mind. <clears throat> Maybe I was thinking about the South earlier or something like that. But he, um, <laughs> no offense, I'm just, I'm just kidding, come on. <clears throat> Uh, Any time, but it's true, right? Um, um, if, if we are thinking of money as it belongs to me, it's my work that got it, it's my experience, it's my education, it's my hard, it's, it's me, my effort. If we think about money as just what do I want to do with it? And what are my plans and what are my goals and what's my, then it's, it's we're, we're just in the same boat. With him. Listen, even Christians a lot of times will say something like this Money is a very private thing between me and God. Now, yes, God's in there, but really, most of the time that that plays out, what we mean is this is a very private thing that nobody else should be able to speak into because it's an individualistic thing. I mean, a lot of times I've, I've heard people confess and share all sorts of stuff as a pastor and just as a Christian friend. People will talk about sexual issues that they have. People will talk about um, kind of temptations with work. They'll talk about all sorts, drugs and substance abuse, all sorts of things that people will even bring to one another 
or to me as a pastor, but even to one another. But a lot of times money is like, ugh, don't touch that. We can't talk about that. That would be impolite. That would be rude. This is a private thing. It's a very individualistic view. So here's where we go wrong with money. First, like him, we don't listen to God. We listen to ourselves. And second is that it's self-focused, very individualistic in how we are thinking and operating with money. So the second question is this, why? Why do we go wrong with money? Where, where does this come from? Where does this come from that we struggle with this so much? Because listen, most of us, I don't think I'm saying anything super new to say that money can be an issue and we think about it and there's tons of studies around this stuff and even in just popular culture, we have a lot of phrases like you can't take it with you and I mean, all, all sorts of money that can't buy happiness. We have all sorts of kind of phrases that aren't even in the Bible where people know money has a power over us and so we don't want that, right? We don't want to be controlled by money. No one walked into here today being like, man, I love that money controls my life. No one, no one likes that. No one wants to worry about it or compare them. Like we don't want to be in that place, but oftentimes we do find ourselves stuck. Why? Why does it have such power in our life? Why does it, even more so than so many other things, have the power to control and lead us and guide us and even cause us to disobey and walk away from what God has for us. Why? The answer is this, because it's not just money. It's like a God to us. It has a grip on our hearts. There's a kind of financial coach, financial therapist. This is a recent article from the Atlantic, and the whole thing is actually really lines up with this. And, um, has some insightful things, but it says the headline is who actually feels satisfied about money. And then the, the coach therapist that talks with people about money and, and their plans with money and all this stuff, she says this, it says in her work, Clayman often finds herself talking clients through emotional problems that they originally interpret as financial problems. And she goes you know, further into detail on that, but even just that statement this is just a secular worldview you know, piece, but saying even as she's talking to people about money, she's noticing exactly what Jesus says, which is it's not actually money issues. There's deeper issues. There's emotional issues. The reason that we have so many financial problems isn't because they're actually financial problems. It's because it's connected to something deeper. The way that Jesus says it is this. One's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. So this is a story about money and it's a story about saving and spending and investing and it's a story about all that. But when Jesus prefaces it, he says, here's the problem. We often view money as our life. We often view money as our life. That means that we view money as a God, which Jesus does compare money as a God in other places in the Bible. If money is a source of life, not just a source of spending and saving, what does that mean? It means what we get from money is deeper than just what we see on the surface. It means money is a source of joy. So happiness and how we think of life is connected. 
Money is a source of comfort. So even if you think about our problems and you think about the world and you think about wanting to create a certain refuge or a space where you're able to experience some peace or even just you want comfort in life from the things that are hard, money is our life. It's our source of comfort. It can be our identity. If you have money, you feel a certain sense of status, a certain sense of power, a certain sense of significance, a certain sense of validation even for your work and your education. And I think money is a sense of our identity. If you were to lose all your money today and lose all your earning potential today, you wouldn't just feel the negative effects of, oh, I can't have that or I can't do this anymore. You would also probably feel some loss of identity. Money is our life, comfort, joy, identity, security. For many of us, money is not just money. It's how we know things will be okay. Money is how we know our future will be good. Money is how we know our families will be good. It's how we know we will be safe. It's how we know we will be healthy. It's how we know we won't turn out like our parents, if that's a fear, or, or like others that are around us. Money is a sense of the future will be okay. It's life. Money is, a, is, is part of what gives us our sense of acceptance from other people. It allows us to, and we wouldn't say it this way so crassly or even feel it so crassly, but it allows us to buy friends. It allows us to create experiences and, and allow us to have acceptance and approval. Money, it's not just money. As the financial therapist, coach, and as Jesus say, problem of why we go so wrong with money is not just because it's money issues. It's not just that we didn't learn the right habits about money. It's not just that you didn't memorize what Dave Ramsey said or what your rich uncle said or your wise grandpa said or whatever. The problem is that it's a source of life for us. Now listen, this is so important because this is why some people are huge spenders and why others are huge savers. It's the same thing. Money is a source of life. For some, it might be the pleasure and the joy and the comfort. For others, the safety, the security, the control, the protection of their life. It's why some of us get excited about money and some of us get scared about money. It's why some of us are in lots of debt. I mean, I, I don't know, you know all of your financial statements in here, but I know as a country, we're in tons of debt. Why? Why would we as people spend so much even though we don't have it? Because it's life. It's why many of us ignore so much of what God says about money. It's why... It's, let me say this too, for those of you, even when it comes to kind of generosity and you might be someone that gives, whether that's in the church or other places, it's even why for those that do that, you can feel maybe a sense of bitterness or loss because you are giving and giving and giving, seeking to be obedient. And yet, because money still is life, you feel like I'm giving away my life. I'm giving away my life. And so there might be some bitterness that comes along with that of what you are missing out on. Either way, any of those things, even sometimes very opposite things of 
savings and debt, of spending and stinginess, of wanting more and more and more or living minimalistically. They're all connected. That money is often our life. Which is why. Which is why, though it's a huge part of our life, though it's a huge part of our emotions, a huge part of our thinking, a huge part of kind of all the different things, job and work and marriage and, and family, even though it's so much that we get really nervous when it comes up, that we really don't want to talk about it because it's not just a moral issue. It feels like someone is threatening our life. It feels like our life is being gone after. Whereas other things, it's like, okay, yeah, that's a moral decision or maybe something, but this feels like someone's going straight for the heart and maybe threatening our very source of meaning and joy and security and life. Jesus sees this. He cares about this. He knows. I mean, the, the fact that Jesus points that out says, Jesus sees, cares, knows that this is something that can have a grip on us and lead us away from him and for the good that he has for us. And he wants to free us. That really is Jesus' heart. When Jesus tells this story to this person, Jesus isn't trying to just say, now let me give you the money rules. What Jesus is saying is, I want to free you from you thinking this is life, and what if it's not? Your life does not consist in this, means that at times we actually believe it does or live our whole life like it does, and Jesus is saying, that's not life. You could miss out. Jesus wants to free us from this. So, what does it look like then to live wisely with our money? What does it look like? We, we go wrong by not listening to God and by being kind of self-focused with our money that comes from believing it's our source of life. What does it look like to live wisely with our money? There's a few things that we can see in this story. And the first is this kind of simple little phrase that might be easily missed. But Jesus says, watch out and be on guard against all greed. See, the, the first thing that we need to do to live wisely with our money is to watch out or to be on guard. Jesus doesn't preface everything with that. Some things he does, he might say, watch out for this or be on guard against this. But that's not a preface that Jesus gives to every sort of parable or ethical command that he gives. And yet here, it's very appropriate to say, watch out, be on guard. Because what that means is this. It means it's very likely for us that money is an issue if we're not actively doing what Jesus just said. If you are not continually, constantly, repeatedly, faithfully questioning and investigating your use of money, that's what it means to watch out and be on guard, right? To watch out and be on guard means you're vigilant, means you're aware, means eyes wide open. If you are not doing that, then we're probably already falling prey into what Jesus speaks about. 
We might even think it's other issues. We might think, well, there's this issue going on. Or, I, I love how this man comes to Jesus and says, hey, tell my brother to do this. And then Jesus goes, uh-huh. uh, let me tell you a story. It's like, wait a minute. I didn't ask about how, I, I didn't ask about greed. I didn't, I asked my brother. My brother's the problem. I'm going to start doing it. Anytime someone comes up to me and says, hey, can I talk about how to get connected? Yeah, let me tell you about greed. There was a guy that, what? That's not even what I said. Jesus just totally changes because Jesus knows there's other things going on. And if you are not watching out and being on guard, you might think there's all sorts of different issues in your life. But if you were to sit down with Jesus, he would say, let me diagnose what's actually going on. Let me tell you what's actually present. Listen, many of you, in various ways, are in prime money-making decision stage of life. Some of you are thinking about buying a house. Some of you are thinking about getting married. Some of you are thinking about or have had and are now raising families. Some of you are, have bought a house and are thinking about what's next, whether that's a, another house or it's selling that house and upgrading. Some of you are at that stage in your career. Maybe you're either just starting that career or you've been now in your career for a little while and it's at the place where promotions or job tra- changes and transfers can happen. Many of you are kind of in prime money-making decision time of your life. When you're 70, you're past that. When you're 10, it's, you, know, you still got a lot of time left. But right now, in our church, many of you are in money-making decision time prime of your life. And this is an important word for us as a church. As you think about job and spouse and kids and house and wealth-building Some of you I know are moving, retirement is on the horizon. And same thing with you. Jesus says, I want to help you. I want to help you. As you have all these financial decisions to make, as you have all these financial considerations that you're processing through, Jesus says, are you being on guard? Are you watching out? That is a proactive step that if you're not doing, then you're not doing. I mean, if you can't look at your life and say, yes, I am actively on guard and watching out, then that means you are missing the first part of how Jesus says it looks to live wise with our money. Second thing of what it looks like to live wise with our money is to listen. This is where this man went wrong, is to listen to Jesus, to listen to him. The opening statement of this passage, if you remember, Jesus says this, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Who appointed me to kind of make the decisions of what should happen with the money? And it's a rhetorical question, but by Jesus showing this parable, he's answering it, saying, I am the judge. I do have a say. See, what it looks like to live wisely with our money is to listen to God, to come to God as the judge. To come to God as the judge. Do we do that? Do we actually present our money issues, even as 
practical as what should I do with this inheritance like this man does. Do we present our money issues to Jesus and say, I want you to judge this right now. I don't want to just listen to what the advice is that I've heard. I don't want to just listen to what this financial blog says or these videos say. I don't want to just listen to what that uh, 101 economics class said. What I want to do is say, Jesus, you get to decide. You are the judge. You are the arbitrator. I want to bring my financial issues to you because that's the only way to actually live wise is say, Jesus, you be the judge. I'm not a good judge. Our world's a mess when it comes to money. Maybe some of our families are a mess when it comes to money. Even if we have money, we might be a mess emotionally, internally, mentally. Say, Jesus, I want you to judge with my money. Wisdom is coming to him and saying, you've got the right to speak into this. And I want you to speak into this. This is important because some of us have heard what God says and not let him actually be the deciding voice. We've heard what the Bible says about money and we haven't obeyed. Have you heard what God says on money? And are you letting him actually be the judge? Have you heard and obeyed? If you haven't heard, then that's a problem because it means you haven't actually said, God, I want you to speak into it. But if you haven't obeyed, then that's another problem. It means you have heard and you have said, okay, Jesus, you might be a consultant. You might be an advisor. You might be one voice among many competing voices, but you're not the judge. You don't get the ultimate say. I'm the judge. You are the advisor. Are you actively doing both? Hearing, obeying, listening, and following. That's what Jesus says it looks like to live with wisdom. And then finally, it looks like to be, the final statement that he says, to be rich toward God. That's how he ends it. He says that this person was storing up treasure for himself and was not rich toward God. That's kind of a weird phrase. We don't use that phrase with a lot of things. We don't say, I'm rich towards food or I'm rich towards house. We don't say that phrase, right? But to be rich towards God is to direct our riches towards God. It is to take the wealth that we have and to direct it to him. But listen, you, you cannot just walk up to God today and say, here you go, God. You, you can't Venmo God. I mean, maybe someone has an account on there called God, but you, you can't do that, right? Remember, we used to have offering baskets up front, and when my kids were younger, as they would put their tithe in the basket, they would say, okay, because we would call it money for Jesus, and they would say, okay, so does that like get sucked up to Jesus, or how does it work? Like, no, that would be really cool, and we'd probably get a lot of people to put money in there if it was like, watch this, you know? No, that's not how it works. To be rich towards God, you don't just walk up and hand it to God. It means that you give toward what God says to give to. It means you give to those things that 
are what God says he cares about and what God prioritizes and what God values and what God has already revealed that he says, here is what I am saying. To be rich towards him doesn't mean that we decide. It means we say, God, what have you said? God, what is important to you? God, what matters to you? God, what have you spoken and revealed? Okay, my riches are going towards that. That's what it means to be rich towards God. In the Old Testament, as I said before, it was a tithe. 10% of the income that they had went straight to the Levites, the temple. In the New Testament, it talks less about percentages. Although last week we looked, Jesus rebuking the legalistic Pharisees and says, you're right, you should tithe. But you should even do more than that. You should love God and care about justice. But in the New Testament, it talks less about that. The way that it works is more what Jesus says here. It speaks to the heart and says, look at what Jesus has done for you and give from there. It says, excel in giving. It says, be abundantly cheerful in giving. It says, be rich towards God. And so I'm not going to go through all of the New Testament and look at all the different things, but even if you just take this statement, be rich towards God. We can ask the question, if I were to die tonight and Jesus were to show up, would he say to me, would my life match more along with this man? And, and God might say, fool. Or would he say, you've been rich towards me? What would God say? Listen, most people, because we're so nervous about money, most people don't see your money. Most people don't see your, usually it's only professionals or a spouse. Most people don't see your bank account. Most people don't see your credit card statement. Most people don't see, most people don't see that, right? But if God looked through your bank account, looked through your spending, looked through your saving, would he say, yes, you're not a fool. You have been rich towards me. Do those three words, rich towards God, does that describe your finances? Does that describe how you think about money? Does that describe your emotional state, your mental state, and your actual living rich towards God? Would that be what God says? Does our money show that he is our deepest treasure? Ask yourself that question. If, if, you were, if you wanted to prove, if you wanted to prove that God was more important to you than anything in the world, if you wanted to prove God is what matters most to me, I treasure God more than anything on this earth. Jesus spoke so much about money and it has changed me. If you wanted to prove that and you went to an objective listener and gave them your statements, all your financial statements, would they say, yes, you are rich towards God. This shows God is your ultimate treasure. I'm asking you some of these questions because they're helpful diagnosis. And, and um, most people, again, don't, don't see actually what's going on, right? So I want you to ask yourself those questions and say, is that what shows up? Listen, every 
respected Christian thinker, leader, pastor, Bible commentator kind of person that I know says that for Christians today, 10% of our giving to the local church should be a starting point. Because if in the Old Testament that's what was required, we should be saying, man, okay, I'm not even concerned about percentages anymore. I want it to be true that I am rich towards God. That's what it looks like to live wisely with our money. It looks like guarding, listening, and being rich towards God. Final question is this. How can we live with this kind of money wisdom? Because again, I don't want to say that this is easy. I, don't, I think money can easily have a grip. But money is such a big part of our life that we all want wisdom on. We might be looking in the wrong places at times. But we all want wisdom when it comes to our money. And God wants to give us something better. He wants to free us from the bondage and allow us to live wise and purposeful with our money. So how? And let's just go back to this little phrase that he says. One's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. But if you think about it's not in the abundance of possessions, that's implying that it is in something else that through the story Jesus is trying to bring them towards, right? If he says it's not in this, then the question is, so what is it in? And the answer throughout the Bible is that it's in him, that one's life is not found in money. It's found in him. And what does that mean? Because that can be just kind of a big religious sounding statement. But it's the same thing if you think about what it means that it's found in money, all the stuff we went through. No, it means it's found in him, which means our joy is available in him. It means our comfort is available in him. It means that our sense of the future is going to be okay is in him. It means that our identity and how we even view ourselves is from him. It means that our acceptance in our approval is not in the cash that we have, but from him and what he says. It means that our validation that we've done well and that our life means something is not from our money, but from him. It means all comfort, all joy, all refuge, all security, all identity, all acceptance, all of that is not in money, he says, it's in me. You can have that. There is a source of life. There is a source of all that we long for in money. And Jesus says, it's in me. It's not there. We're going to take communion in just a minute. And when we take communion, what we are remembering is this. We are remembering that in order for Jesus to give to us all of what I just said, comfort and refuge and identity and acceptance and validity and all and purpose in order for Jesus to do that. What did he have to do? He gave everything to us. Unlike the man in the story, Jesus, out of all of his abundance, out of his full barns, the Bible says that Jesus emptied himself that he came from heaven and emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. See, Jesus gave up. Jesus had way more than this man had. Jesus was way wealthier spiritually, emotionally, physically, 
financially. Jesus was way wealthier than this and emptied himself for us, poured himself out for us. The Bible says that it even uses financial language. It says that he purchased us with his blood. That Jesus, out of all of his wealth, said, I'm going to use that to purchase you, to bring you into my family, to save you, to call you mine. Yes, thank you, Jesus. That is what we remember when we take communion. We remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed to purchase us. That he was the wealthy, the rich man that used all of it, not for himself, but for us. So as you pray, as you take communion, for those of you that are Christians, as you take communion, I want you to direct your heart towards him and you can think about a few different things to pray. You can think about just worshiping him as the giver that has given to us. God, you are a giving, generous God that has given me everything in Christ. You can worship him as a giver. You can confess and say, God, I have not listened to you or I have listened to you and I've disobeyed you or God, I have used my money in a way that was not what you say, but was about self. Or we confess also that maybe even if you are using your money well, whether you are or not, you can still view it as life. And you can confess, God, money is life to me. It really is the source of my life. And you can ask him to forgive you the actions, the heart, and he does. And you can thank God. You can thank him for what he's done in your life the wealth that he has given you, the job that he's given you, the skills that he's given you, the, the life that he's given you. And then you can ask him to help you commit to be rich towards God, to give so that on the day of your death, the word spoken over you is not fool, but well done. And so that you are able to look at your life and see that through you, other people's lives were touched by God. That people were able to experience the goodness and the generosity of God that, that we have tasted and experienced. So take this time and pray. And we thank our good God for what he's done. I'll also be in the back if anyone would like prayer for healing in your life or for anything. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you gave to us Jesus. You did not hold back Jesus from us. God, that, that just shows us you are a generous, giving God. You have held nothing back. You're not a taker. You are a giver. And if you've given us your son, then we know that you are always working for our good and that money doesn't have to be our life. So God, free us from the control of money. Free us from money being life. God, may it not be so. Let us find our life in you, Jesus pray that even as we sing these few songs and take communion, that our hearts may be lifted to find life in you. In your name, Jesus.